Have you ever suffered a traumatic event? Do you feel you've been able to grow from it? Get through it. If you would like to learn more about what it takes to grow from adversity, attend the full-day conference on the science and practice of post-traumatic growth April 29th at Sacramento State University's Harper Alumni Center from 8.30 to 4 p.m. A panel of experts will present tactics and tools to transform adversity and trauma into confidence and strength through the development of resilience, compassion, and post-traumatic growth. Hear Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn address her course, Metahabit Sac State, and learn from the presentation of keynote speaker Charles Clark, one of the fastest men in the world. As a mindset expert, he'll teach you how to use adversity to build greater strength, success, and fulfillment. To register, visit metahab.com. That's metahab.com to register for the science and practice of post-traumatic growth at Sac State, April 29th. Live your life better turning trauma into growth. As I started coming back and going through the process of healing and recovery and all that, it just came to me, why are we always looking at everything that's gone wrong? I definitely, definitely knew what had gone wrong. I had some brain injury, but there were other things, not overnight, but over time that I had recognized as being valuable insights that had I not gone through this, I would not understand that. Does the word trauma make you pause? Did you have a reaction just now when I said it? T-R-A-U-M-A, trauma. What do you think when you hear that word? Hi, I'm Beth Ruyak. You might recognize my name or my voice from my work in television or radio over um, actually a lot of years, a number of decades. But if you are meeting me right now for the first time, welcome. And I'm really glad you're here. How about that word trauma? Did it make you pay closer attention? I hope so, because I am in the studio with someone who lives this topic. She lives it literally and figuratively. She is a person who died and now lives to understand and teach. She researches and lives what happens in the experience and the aftermath of trauma. And she has become, and I know you're going to recognize this quite quickly, quite an amazing resource in this field. Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn. Hi, Beth. So great to be here with you. I'm really glad we're having this conversation right now. And before we go further, Dr. Joyce, I want to share a bit of your background. You're a university professor. Yes. You're teaching courses in neuroscience and trauma-informed care. And you have been a faculty in the School of Nursing at Sacramento State since 2005. Correct. Correct. So really, starting with your master's work, followed then by doctoral research and with Sac State, your concentration has been in the area of post-traumatic growth. That was something already in existence. It's often called PTG. Correct. Okay. And then from your personal experience and your ongoing research, you brought forth I don't know if it's right to call it a subset of this or, or a program in tandem with this, but it's a recovery system that you created 
and it is called metahabilitation. Correct. So the process of all of this is, you know, I'll talk a little bit about, you mentioned the experience I had about having a death event and being resuscitated and coming back from that. That generated in my head the notion of dealing with traumatic events. When that was going on with me, and should I should I just mention what happened to me? Well, right now? I I think somebody listening is saying, "Wait a minute, yeah. Beth just said she died, and then you just said died and resuscitated." So <laughs> start there. I think there. we need to have you tell the story in a way that um, makes sense of where we're going. Perfect. So in 1990, I was at a big swim meet with my children. They were on a swim team, and then um, we were at it. And I don't have any memory of this, but there was a multi-team championship swim meet at Jesuit High School, actually in Sacramento. So having only remembered a little bit about going out to dinner with some people on Friday night, this event happened on a Sunday, and I don't remember anything from that time, probably for about two or three weeks after. But even before, you don't remember No, I had a little retrograde amnesia. Yeah. So this is what I've been told, that I I love marathoning, triathloning. I'm a very, very active person. I'm also very competitive. So they were going to have a fun adult relay before they had the final swim off on Sunday. And that's pretty common, the parents' relay and the coaches, everyone's so excited for it. So I grabbed my husband and a couple of people and I said, come on, we're going to swim this and we're going to win this and I'm going to swim the last leg because I'm the fastest, I've been training (laughs) a lot and so here we go. So apparently... We did all that, and I did swim the last leg of that relay, which finished on the side of the pool that was 13 feet deep. And I was told that the timer asked if I needed help out, and I said no. And then something happened, and I literally sank to the bottom of the pool. Mm. My husband and other people realized I was not surfacing, so my husband dove in the bottom of the pool, got me to the side, and people grabbed me. And luckily, since there were a lot of children there. There are a lot of parents there. And there was a ER doc, Dr. Mm-hmm. Bruce Gordon. There was another doc, Dr. Gary Ryle. There is a cardiac nurse specialist and everything. So I received a little over 20 minutes of CPR at poolside. They then got me, they landed a helicopter in the football field of Jesuit, got me on that helicopter Life flighted me to, my heart stopped again on the helicopter. They got it going. Life flighted me to Davis. And that's where the life I knew was changed. So at that point in time, I already was a nurse. I actually was a nurse practitioner. And when I started to come back, you know, from all of this. Obviously, I was in ICU for a while. I was, you know, all those on a respirator. And when I was moving back into a recovery process in the hospital, I remember saying to the doctor, well, when will I swim again? Oh, you'll, you'll never swim again. Well, when will I run again? 
you're never going to run again. And I literally fell apart. I was just sobbing because that was such a big part of my life. It's my social life. It's what I did with my husband and my friends and all that. And I remember my husband saying, I can't believe you're this upset about not doing those things because you're alive. But unless you've been there and you just think all of a sudden, this is such an important part of your mental health, your socialization, everything, and then it's gone. It's just the transition is not that easy. So bottom line is when I saw that one doctor again in the hospital, I said, you know what? I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. You don't know me, but I've been through a lot of stuff and I'm going to come back from this and I need you to tell me what I can do. You need to ask me what I want to do, and your job is to get me there. And that sort of tri- started triggering my mindset around that. So as a clinician, as I started coming back and going through the process of healing and recovery and all that, it just came to me, why are we always looking at everything that's gone wrong? I definitely definitely knew what had gone wrong. I had some brain injury and TBI and all that. But there were other things, not overnight, but over time, that I had recognized as being valuable insights that had I not gone through this, I would not understand that. So I just started looking at and thinking, I think we need to take a more balanced view of things. So it was about two years after my accident, when I went to get my master's and then my doctorate and triggered all that work. I'm going to stop you from time to time for definitions. You said TBI. Oh, okay. Explain that. So traumatic brain injury. And funny kind of to tell, I do a lot with traumatic brain injury now, but in the whole time after my event, I could articulate words, but I couldn't recall words. Mm -hmm. I didn't remember a lot of things. And there was never one doctor, nobody ever said, oh, you have a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. I remember walking up to Bruce Gordon, who lives in our neighborhood. I love the guy. One of the doctors who had helped resuscitate you. And it was about, I don't know, three months or so after I was out of the hospital. And he said, Joyce, how are you? And I said, you know, Bruce, like physically... I'm actually doing better. I'm, I'm still very fatigued and everything, but I'm doing better. But I said, you know, Bruce, I think I have some brain damage. And he kind of laughed. He goes, well, with that much CPR, yes. But here's the thing. You're an athlete. And when you have an athletic injury, you have to rehab that injury. He said, you're going to have to rehab your brain. Hmm. You have to rehab your brain. And at that moment, I went, oh, and I earnestly got back into speech therapy. And I went to UC Davis where I'd gotten my NP from. And I just said, can I sit in class? I mean, I really, and it was him triggering that in me that got it going. But again, those are the kinds of things that I was noted that we don't see today, but 20 years ago, we didn't have that much I don't know if it was an awareness or what it was, but it was kind of like this happened to you and good luck coming back, so to speak. So will you go back to that day in the pool, even though you don't remember you're swimming and you hit the wall and you start sinking? What was happening? What did people say happened? 
they just knew something had happened, whether it was a shallow water drowning, whether it was an electrical issue a of my heart. So, no, they didn't really say it was a cardiac arrest. It was some just electrical malfunction or whatever. And that caused maybe a what we call superventricular tachycardia, like a tach- and, the, and if I had been on land, I probably just would have passed out. Mm. And maybe, but I happened to be in 13 feet of water, so I had a drowning accident. So nobody to this day really knows. But for those of you who know, they call it AV, um, AV nodal reentry problem. So it's some sort of an electrical issue. But, um, yeah. Is that part of the challenge of recovery along the way, not even really knowing what happened it, it's not like something could get fixed right. either if you if you don't know what it was well that was not only a problem for me that was a problem for my husband ah because i remember going to different doctors and having all sorts of tests and i'd say well what happened because what happened what happened? Well, we don't really know and so i remember my husband saying to this one cardiologist if you don't know what's happening could you please send us to somebody who does know mm-hmm. But, yeah, for the longest time, not knowing what happened was really tough, for sure, for sure. And then after a while, you live with it and you make changes in your life. What I did was I made changes in my life that hopefully would not put me in that situation again. Because I think on that day, too, I had been, you know, really exhausted. It was a very hot day. I was probably dehydrated. I don't know how much I ate. I was just a fatigue, you know, mother of three. I just think that everything came together at once. So I started just making adjustments and doing what I could do to make things so that that wouldn't happen again. Let's locate this on a timeline. I'm not sure that we told people when the accident happened. Yeah, so I was, it was 1990, I was 35. And after the accident, after all of this, mm-hmm. is when you began your master's and your mm-hmm. postdoctorate work. Before mm-hmm. that, you had been a nurse. I'm hearing you tell the story, not for the first time, and really getting a more vivid sense than I ever have before, how in that immediate aftermath, you had one foot still in your past life and one foot looking for where your future life is going to be. And I never had such an understanding of you really being torn and straddling. I don't know this, this chasm that had happened. That is such a great way to say that. I've never thought about it that way, but that is precisely not only what happens to me, Mm -hmm. but what happens to other people because your life is changed. Mm. It is. Forever. And there are some things you're going to regain and some things that aren't there. And you are desperately trying to get that. I want that life. I want that life. Or if you or some people are more in other, you know, traumatic situations, maybe, you know, want to move from that. But It is such an important thing to think, you know, because this is who I am, what I love to do, the people I love being around, all those kinds of things. It is such a tough thing to think there's some doors that are just shut. 
Now, over time, not overnight, but over time, there's some other very interesting doors that open up. But at the time, it is brutal. So you created a strengths-based recovery system around that, and all of that supports this kind of personal resilience. You help guide and support people along the way. But after reading both of your books, hearing podcasts, you and I were talking recently, and I said, you know, Dr. Joyce, I think we have to back up and just talk about trauma Mm-hmm. Before we get farther along, and anybody who meets you or hears your story, even now for the first time, will say, of course, you went through an extreme and terrifying trauma. But what actually is trauma? How do we define what can throw into chaos any person's mind, body, or spirit? Let's go back and open the circle wider so that more people can step into knowing that what they've experienced is the kind of thing that you help all kinds of people with. Okay. So I'm going to talk about trauma and just define it a little bit. But I also want people to recognize, and this is one of the things, you know, over the years, I have been challenged with some of my thoughts and ideas and the research that I do, and it's really strengthened my approach and my content around this. So if we just start out with the notion of trauma itself, it's just, you can look at it as a, could be a severe, significant, or whatever, physical injury or wound or a disorder. It can be a cause of a severe mental or emotional state, something that really trips you up, something that overwhelms your system, so to speak. Also, you can think about it as a crisis, and sometimes these traumas and crises are significant events that cause radical changes in the status of your life. Now, I kept using trauma a lot, but one of the things people said to me was, well, I kind of go through some of the the Metahab system. I kind of go through that, but do I have to have a trauma, like thinking about a death event to do that? And I changed my thinking around that, and I said, no. We are engaged with this process even when we are challenged have adversities, irritations, those types of things. So sometimes we want to ratchet it down to think about those. And those are basically what I call like um, resilience. We talk about resilience gym. Those are the precursors so that your systems are engaged to deal with lesser traumas. So when you get to the big stuff, you're a little bit prepared to do that. It's like training for a marathon or training for something. So, yes. Well, I would like to make this more collective than we even have because we're at a critical time in this planet. Right. And we've all gone through a tsunami of life of sorts. And pick what it is or was, covid social justice issues and challenges, climate crises, weather, loss, poverty, homelessness. There are so many avenues into an experience that is traumatic for a human being on earth right now. 
Yeah, it's tough too, because as we go through, we'll talk a little bit about this, but my initial research looked at individual trauma. And then some of my postdoctoral work, I looked at vicarious and secondary traumatization, which a lot of us go through too, which, you know, you might not be experiencing the trauma firsthand, but the remnants of it mm. are overwhelming to you. And then also there's communities. I looked at communities responses. Now, with each of those areas, my research and other people's research do show that, again, not overnight, but over time, these areas can grow, not in spite of what happened, but as a direct result of it, if they provide or provided the guidance and the insight to do so. But the other thing that is unique, like we look at all these different things that went on, but specifically looking at COVID, that was a unique experience in that worldwide mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people felt something. They either got it, knew somebody who got it, knew somebody who passed, whatever. It was such a unique time in history to look at that plague, so to speak, and how that influenced it all. But here's what I'm hearing afterwards as I'm working with ICU nurses who went through all this, one of the things that I'm hearing in the aftermath is the understanding of our shared humanity, hmm. our shared humanity, where we stopped looking at everything that separated us and recognized that we all have this and what brought us together in the midst of this time, this unique time in history. This is part of the reason that your work is so powerful right now is um, your view is that we can do better and we can do more with these experiences that we call traumatic or trauma experiences, that they are not the end in and of themselves, yeah. even though we don't forget them. They're imprinted on us. Oh, and there's absolutely. No, like cure for trauma. Do you still live some moments of your life feeling like what happened to you in 1990 is still with you today? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we'll, we talked about this. And let me just separate a couple terms. We'll get into this later. But when I look at the system of metahab or metahabilitation, meta mean going above and beyond habilitation, restoration. When I look at that system, I've identified that as being one method, a clinical pathway in process one can engage in to attain over time PTG or post-traumatic growth. So as I've looked at this and read and actually talked with Dr. Richard Tedeschi, mm -hmm. who with he and Lawrence Calhoun coined the term post-traumatic growth and came up with the five domains of post-traumatic growth. In my discussions with him, a couple of things really made sense to me. Number one, in order to experience growth in the aftermath of trauma, you must engage in the process. 
that's a chapter from your first book where you say yes to life. Yes, that's mm-hmm. part of this. Mm-hmm. You have to engage. You have to encounter the beast. And you don't do this alone, especially if it's big-time trauma. I always tell people, you know, some of this is overwhelming. You need help with this. Don't go this alone. But you must engage in the process in order to eventually and over time experience the growth. I don't want to minimize that moment when something has happened and you decide, I want to live or I can get through this because I have known people even in my own family who have had a most incredible life shock and they stay in shock for a long time. It can be years in shock before you're ready to commit and say, okay, I'll keep living. I'll try to live again. Yeah. And it's, you know, this is the one thing that I always love. So going through this also changed the way as a nurse practitioner, changed the way I saw patients. Because I realized I am a consultant in this process with them. Even like we'll go through the stages of metahab and things. I don't tell people where they're at. I bring them in and they get to decide where they're at and where they want to go. And it's such a great thing to let them be part of that process. Because here's the other thing. I think sometimes we think there's a beginning and end and then it's over. It is never over. People say to me, oh, when am I going to get over this? Or Mm -hmm. when am I going to go, there's no getting over this. You eventually find a way to use it. You find ways to live with the pain. You find ways to use the energy you have to move forward. And then you utilize the lessons learned to really inform yourself as you move on. So I think that's number one thing I had to learn through the years. There's no getting over anything. The other thing, too, is I think we also think if you say, well, you've grown, then there's no sensitivity or if I cry, if I think about this again and whatever, then it means I haven't grown. That is not true. Post-traumatic growth can live simultaneously with grief and even sadness or depression. Hmm. So if I get into really talking about what happened to me, I still get very, very emotional. I can cry about it all this stuff, but it doesn't mean I didn't grow. It's the way your brain works and moves with all this stuff because sometimes, you know, a memory of that lets you know, oh, look at where I'm at now. Um, two points, and I hope I don't forget both before <laughs> I get to the second one. Number one, because you have no memories of what happened to you, it's not like you remember a trauma. You don't remember a car accident. You don't remember sinking to the bottom of the pool. You have no memories of that. So trauma must be happening somewhere in your body, right. somewhere in your cells. What, what's going on in us when we go through trauma? Well, I think there, I, I cannot remember the person who wrote this book, but I think there's a book called Your Body Keeps the Score. That's number one. And so their trauma occurs within you. And that is a natural thing that has to happen because these traumas are calls to action. So there has to be an actionable thing that occurs. The second thing is, is even though I don't remember what happened to me at the time, I do remember the aftermath and how tough it was coming back. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's the trauma for me is to wake up 
and go, what happened? No, really? And then recognizing my limitations and being told my limitations as well. That is what I go back and reflect on. And that's really hard for me. So my second follow-up was on the mention of grief, Mm -hmm. how stages of walking through trauma parallel what we're taught are the stages of grieving. Maybe not 100%, but they do line up in terms of the denial and the anger and the depression and the struggle that happens before we get to someplace out there. And you know, that's such a good point too, Beth, because in literally interviewing hundreds of people Mm -hmm. going through this, reading, researching, and really thinking this through, one of the things that I've come to understand, and I'll say to people, that's part of the process. You know, especially like I'll deal with veterans or, I mean, I go, I wish I could take this away from you, but I cannot. And unfortunately, it is part of the process, but I cannot leave you there. I have to come and get you because we need to move forward. But going back and forth with that, again, doesn't mean you're not doing well and you can't grow. But look at life upended you. That's why I told people the universe, whether you chose that or the universe chose it for you, whatever, life upended you. Part of the process, part of the healing process is being depressed, is grieving, is going through that. So let's look at the other processes we have in our body when we experience a trauma. And one of the ones I use the very most, and I put this in my book, is the notion of a a fractured bone, a broken bone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can I talk about, can I explain that now? Let me explain. It's a good analogy. So I had this epiphany when I went back and I was seeing patients again after my event. And I remember looking at a series of x-rays of a patient we were seeing and they were in a cast. And there's, you know, the acute x-ray and then a few days later and then a week later and a couple of weeks later, and we were trying to figure out, can we take this person out of the cast and send them to PT? And as I was looking at this series of x-rays, you could see the initial x-ray looked bad. You could see the fracture. Mm. The next x-ray looked worse. <laughs> and then the, even the third in- x-ray looked even worse because what does the body do? It causes inflammation and swelling and brings all this stuff to the place to get healed. But it also is causing this to say, don't move this limb. It's injured and it needs to be taken care of. So don't do that until we get it taken care of. But then as you look two weeks, three weeks, even four weeks out, it all of a sudden comes together, the calcium deposit comes together, and then you see one thin little line. And I just looked at that and said, that's what people do. That's what people do. You get injured and it gets worse. (laughs) And then you go through the pain and all this stuff because your body's saying, we got some work to do here and you got to do that. But if you... Take care of things from the beginning. If you do things and engage people and help with the process, at the end, that line of fracture, you will 
always see. I don't care if it's 10 years from now, get an x-ray and go, did you fracture your fibula there? Yes, but here's what the body does. That line will always be there, but the chances of you fracturing above or below, yes, but not there anymore. That's unbreakable almost because the healing process works in a way that lays down calcium and everything. The chances of re-breaking at that site, no. So think about this. You've had a laceration, a cut. Look at your skin. You look at the healing part of your skin where you see the scar tissue. That scar tissue, as that skin was healing, it looked bad. And then things heal, and that scar will always be there. You'll always know it was there. But the tissue at that scar is stronger. So I kept thinking, well, why are we not finding a more balanced view of dealing with trauma, adversities, even challenges to incorporate not only in the way we, our mindsets, but also our research and engaging people in a way to say, once this happens, you got to go at it. Have you ever suffered a traumatic event? Do you feel you've been able to grow from it? Get through it. If you would like to learn more about what it takes to grow from adversity, attend the full-day conference on the science and practice of post-traumatic growth April 29th at Sacramento State University's Harper Alumni Center from 8.30 to 4 p.m. A panel of experts will present tactics and tools to transform adversity and trauma into confidence and strength through the development of resilience, compassion, and post-traumatic growth. Hear Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn address her course, MetaHabit Sac State, and learn from the presentation of keynote speaker Charles Clark, one of the fastest men in the world. As a mindset expert, he'll teach you how to use adversity to build greater strength, success, and fulfillment. To register, visit metahab.com. That's metahab.com to register for the science and practice of post-traumatic growth at Sac State, April 29th. Live your life better turning trauma into growth. You're listening to Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn, and I'm Beth Ruyak. We are talking about trauma. What is trauma? What happens in a trauma experience? And if you've joined us, or if you haven't, you know that in Dr. Joyce's personal experience of having died for 22 minutes, her education, and the personal stories of others, she has designed an evidence-based program that guides and supports people toward recovery. She calls it MetaHab. Have I explained that? That's good. Correctly. That's I, I, I like hear that, a variety of yeah, yeah. explanations. Um, you've defined yourself as a competitive-driven person. So how did you actually recognize trauma within yourself? How did you start to, and maybe it was a slow awakening, realize, I've been through something massive and my life never will be the same. Um, that idea evolved because one of the things that I remember specifically is when I was coming back, I was like, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm, I'm going to start running. I'm going to just do, I was, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Well, there were a couple of things that really got me to thinking this is bigger than anything you've been through. And one of them was when I got home, 
um, to my house. I finally recognized who my husband and children were, but I walked into the kitchen and I said to my children, who were like two, seven, and eight at this Mm. time, so really young. I asked, where are the dishes? Where are the silverware? Where is everything? And they were showing me, and what did I used to cook? Tell mommy what I used to cook. You didn't remember anything. No, and I would take them to my closet and say, tell mommy what did I wear? Mm. Show me what I used to wear. So I had like an awareness of that. I recognized also I was so tired all the time, so Mm. fatigued. And I was 35 years old with three children, working part-time, running marathons. I had everything together. And that was put me at a stop. But the big thing, I thought, "Eh, well, you know what? I'm going to start, I'll start walking first. Then I'll start running. So I live in River Park, which is a really cute little area of Sacramento. And I've lived there for years. And I go out for a walk. And all of a sudden, I kind of got lost mm-hmm. as to where I was. And then there was a point where I thought, I am I was just a few blocks away from my house, I think. And I thought, I'm so tired. I sat on the curb. I was so tired. I couldn't get back without resting. And a neighbor of mine drove by and said, Joyce, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm doing okay. I just, you know, just tell me, where's, where, where do I live again? And she kind of helped. And that was a notion like, wow, you got to get some help here. This is bigger than anything that you've ever gone through before. So you are going to have to ask for and accept help. And that's one of the things I talk to people about all the time. When I hear a story and I hear people being humble and say, bigger than anything I've ever been through before, I'm going to have to ask for and accept help. That's key. Joyce, I had a time in my life that was dark and I used to always say I was stuck in a pothole. And I used to think a rope is going to come. A rope is going to come. I'm in this pothole. Rope is going to come. And my imagination was always, as soon as I saw that rope, I would just scurry up and I'd be up on top and it would all be fine again. And I think about that and laugh at myself now because you say over and over again, it's not overnight, not quickly up a rope, is it? Oh, no. It's over time. And that is precisely the way every system in our body works, whether it's a cardiovascular system, you know, you tax it, it's not going to, that heart's not getting stronger overnight. It's over time. Your musculoskeletal system, your immune system, all these wonderful systems we have must be engaged to get stronger, but it takes, there's a process. And so once you give in and recognize the process and recognize you are getting better. You have some traction going in a positive way. You have that hope in front of you. Unbelievable things can happen. You mentioned your children. Can I detour just a little bit in thinking about them being so young and just thinking about children and trauma overall? We now have this scale. Yeah. It's either called the ACE or ACEs scale, which right. is a scale designed to measure childhood trauma right. with the goal of helping us understand what very young people, young children have been through and help them navigate their lives. What do you think of having a scale like that for children and 
do you use that in the work that you do? Right now, I'm not doing clinical works as, as a family nurse practitioner. I'm not doing that. I'm a very aware of ACEs. People that take my course, we talk about that. I think it's an important piece of information. No question about that. I think there are things that happen to children early on that having that awareness, and I hate to use this word, but getting that data gives you a lot of information as to how and when you want to interface with giving them the support and help they need to move. You know, the weird thing is, too, with children, they're so incredibly resilient. Mm -hmm. But what really happens, I think this is so helpful, in children especially who have experienced chronic, ongoing trauma. Mm -hmm. And having this information and awareness, again, is a really good place to start when you're engaging with them over time in a healing process. Something you said earlier, Dr. Joyce, made me realize how individual this is. And just as you said, people need to say what's going on, say what's happening to them. If we talk about trauma as an entity, it would seem to me that even trauma is very individually defined and it's unique person to person. And because of your story being so dramatic, I might think that something I went through was maybe not really a big deal. And of course it can't be trauma because you died. How could anything short of that be traumatic? But I, I think there has to be, I don't know, latitude, permission for what the definition of trauma is in anybody's life. And I have been, again, challenged with that, and I really am glad people challenged me with that because they sometimes say, well, I don't need to listen to what you have to say or I, you know, I don't need to engage in that because I didn't go through cancer, mm-hmm. a spinal cord injury, what you went through or whatever. And I say, this is true. But again, what I have identified is people even going through challenges, adversities, annoyances, parking tickets or whatever, those can be profound vehicles to start recognizing your strengths and your abilities to get to um, move forward. So as an example, like I'll say to my students, let's say you want to get stronger biceps. You can't just sit around hoping your biceps are going to get stronger. You lift weights. You start with, you know, smaller weights, annoyances, right? Irritations. And then you move into bigger weights and then you move into heavier weights. So it's this process. So what I say to people is, you know, don't wait till you go through the big stuff to start to recognize the process and the systems that are built into you to not only survive but thrive because here's the other thing too human beings are surviving machines there are all sorts of systems capacities all these things that are built in but they are triggered and go with some of the smaller things and so then we're prepping we're preparing we're getting ready to engage with the larger ones. I feel like I want to hit a buzzer that goes ding, 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 ding. Here's a Dr. Joyce word that I was hoping we would work into this conversation. 
and you didn't create this concept, but you talk about it a lot, and it is plasticity. Oh, yeah. It's exactly the realm that we're talking about, but in this case, we're, you're going to teach us about brain science. Yeah. Right now? Yeah, right now. <laughs> it's a very good time right now. <laughs> so right now. So I love this notion. Again, when I started doing this work in, oh, gosh, 2000s or whatever, 2002, I was not even aware of all the science behind this is a good idea, right? Mm -hmm. Using traumas, using challenges, using adversities, whatever, to grow and become stronger. That's a really good idea. But it was been over time that I've recognized, oh, when you take on this in this way, when you adapt this mindset, it changes you at a very deep level. And then I was able to teach a course, an intro course, intro in neuroscience, and I learned so much about the brain and it made so much sense to me. And one of the things that we know about the brain is it is not fixed. It is plastic. Or as my friend David Eagleman says, he wrote a book called Live Wired that even goes further in saying the brain responds to what we think, what we do, how we behave, what we eat, all of that. It is not fixed. It can be changed and manipulated over time. The other thing that we have to recognize is we have neurotransmitters. So we have brain chemicals. We cannot make and inject the brain chemicals we have in our brain to utilize at times. We have to do activities to get those synthesized, to get those created and use them. When I started teaching my brain class, we had identified not we, I say we, but the science had identified about 30 to 50 neurotransmitters. We're up to well over 100. Mm. So using these experiences in a way that brings forth and engages with the process of our behavior, our thinking, what we do, mindfulness activities, wellness activities, all this, these are not just good ideas. These change what's going on in your brain. With the concept of plasticity, I think you've written and taught that we actually have to create some irritation in our brains. We have to create challenges, which is also an argument for stress on some level. Right. So when you look at the other thing, too, is to identify. I tried to get really good at identifying terms. So stressors are what bring about stress. So I tell my students, going to college is a stressor, mm. bringing about stress. So we look at how we deal with that stress. So as you're bringing about the notion of plasticity, again, there are parts of our brain that can be damaged. Stressors have caused stress or damage to parts of our brain. But not overnight, but over time, if we engage in, as Dr. Bruce Gordon said, rehabbing your brain, we have alternative pathways, alternative neural pathways. We can engage our neuro brain chemistry to help us out. There's all sorts of things that can happen, not overnight, but over time to heal and make your brain stronger as well. 
So we talked about some of the signs. We've alluded to evidence. Just in a broad sense, how much science is there assisting in this idea of post-traumatic growth and moving people through really bad experiences to a place that's better or even good? I would say, man, uh, since 2005, and I really started looking at this in earnest, I think there really has been a much more, as I say, a balanced view, not only in doing research, but in incorporating therapies for people and recognizing we need and can do a better job right away in the aftermath of trauma. So I, I'm going to give you a great example. I, I love this example. And it's so I was watching a Nova special called Augmented. And Dr. Hugh Hare is a um, physician. I think he's a physician and a uh, engineer who has a very young man was sort of a savant mountain climber. Hmm. He's like in his teens on the cover of all this. Well, he had an accident or he and his friend went out for a climb they got caught in the snow. They luckily survived. It was a few days. They did survive, were rescued, and he had both legs amputated, I think from the knee down. Mm. So he was a young guy, and they gave him this prosthesis, and he was like, what am I supposed to do with these? These are so antiquated. And then also when he was asked, what do you want to do again? He said, well, I want to climb. I want to drive. I want to do all this stuff. So it's a really good story and his work is amazing. But he, over time, said, I need to know more information. So he went back and I think he went to med school as well as just MIT and engineering and created these unbelievable prosthesis that they use now. But in the story, it also shows that he was working with an orthopedic surgeon. And especially after the Boston bombings, when mm. there were a lot of amputations, right. they recognized that the technique they were using for amputations hadn't really changed a lot since like the Civil War. Oh. So what he said, okay, we need to go back and we need to learn how to do better amputations because we have technology now that we can reestablish, you know, we can hook up nerve endings and all sorts of things so that we can make way better prosthesis. So I got that in mind and I went, what we're learning to do now with trauma is we're learning how to better address it at the very beginning. Hmm. We're learning to address it at the very beginning to say, this is not an end point. This is your new beginning point. And engaging that, I think that is probably one of the biggest things that I have been excited about and see in how we addressed, how we address trauma, challenges, and even adversities. Let me tie up a loose end. We ran um, some parallels earlier in this conversation between trauma recovery and the stages of grief. The last stage of grief is acceptance. Is that the same in trauma recovery or is it a variation? No, that's in real trauma recovery, you know. So the acceptance and adaptation is actually, we'll talk about this later, but I have stages of metahab. And that's actually, of the six stages of metahab, that's just the fourth stage. 
Oh, that's just the fourth stage. So when people learn how to accept and adapt, they do better. But you can't stop there. Yeah, yeah. I, I so agree with that. I see what you mean there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's other there's other things to move on in front of you. And so, yeah, we do. Accept and adaption is key, but that's not a stopping point. So we have much more to get to in this conversation. I, I want to explore more about the opportunity mm-hmm. of post-traumatic growth. I want to explore faith and forgiveness, mm-hmm. the variable there, and the actual stages and steps that you take with people to help them along the way. Can I quickly, before we wrap up this conversation, ask you, where are you now? Where is your recovery? Okay, uh, this is kind of a funny story, but so obviously <laughs> it all all this started with my personal experience, right? All I, of the metahab, all the metahab, all this awareness, with- and all this kind of you know I brought obviously had things before because college was tough and I had to pay for and all these stuff that you you know comes together. But it was life defining. Yeah. That day in the pool. Right. Okay. So this all kind of comes as a result of this. And so I'm like, oh, I'm learning about this, learning about that. Well, one of the things I also remind people, just because you went through one really bad thing, I hate to tell you this, you don't get a pass. Other things happen. And so I had my situation obviously happened. There were other significant things that happened afterwards, but especially about 10 years ago, my mother died suddenly They at home. Mm. They found her at home. That same day, I have a young niece who died of breast cancer. So on the same day, think about my brother losing his mom and his daughter to that. So we went through that. And a week later, our daughter was supposed to get married. So we're going through a funeral on Friday, a wedding on Saturday, oh. and a funeral on Monday. So you go through all this. And then not too long after that, my husband's doing great and he's all great, but he did lose his job for a while. So there's all this oh. going on. And so I was talking to a wonderful, supportive friend, but who always tells me the truth. And you need to have those people around who like keep you real. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do about this and this and this? And she goes, well, I guess you're going to figure out if that little metahab works, aren't you? (laughs) And I thought, she's right. right. And I refer to this, I use this all the time. Once you get this in your head, you know that's where you need to go. But a metaphor I use is I'll talk about, let's say, you know, we'll say the Warriors basketball team. Several years ago, they were kind of struggling and not doing well. They get a new coach. And what did the new coach basically say? We got to go to the fundamentals. You got to go back to the fundamentals. So with trauma stuff, sometimes I go, I got to go back to the fundamentals. I got to go back into the stages and say, you're at stage two now. You got to make a decision again. Then what do you do to move you to stage three? And what do you do? So answer is I use it all the time. More than once I'll get knocked off, but I don't stay knocked off that long anymore. My comeback is a little quicker because I know what to do. You have a great cheering online for everybody too. Okay. You write it over and over in your book. It's fun to hear you say it. So here you go from Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn. You got this. 
You got this. It's so lovely. I'll just say this. I When I talk to students and they're struggling and having a tough time, I go, come on to my office. They'll come to my office and I just sit and I say, before we get into the particulars, tell me your story. Just tell me your story. And I will hear some of the most amazing survival stories of these students. And I look at them and I go, why are you worried about your college degree? You've been through this and this and this. You've got this. You got this. So let's focus on what you can do and your strengths and move on. And it's wonderful to be able to do that with them. You are an amazing resource. There are two books. The first one, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. The more recent book, Anatomy of a Survivor, the podcast series, Sliver of Hope, many peer-reviewed publications. You've spoken internationally at so many conferences. I'm going to add one more link to this, which was an in-depth interview I did with you in 2019 when your first podcast was released. So we didn't cover everything. Can we continue this in another episode? Yes, we'll do another episode for sure, because I'd like to get into the system itself. And I know you want to talk about that question that you're often asked, and that is trauma, which we've spent time defining. What do I do with Mm -hmm. trauma? What do I do with this? Mm -hmm. So until next time, agreed? Awesome. I'm Beth Ruyak, and it has been a pleasure to join you. I'm with Dr. Joyce Michael Flynn. Thanks for joining us and listening to special episode, Metahab at Sac State. Say it again, Dr. Joyce. You got this. 